welcome. This is, you're listening to episode four, am I right? Episode four of Chomping at the Bits? We did Donkey Kong, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. This is That's the fourth we did with Street Fighter. ever fucking episode. Um, I am Rich Meister, and here's a princess from another car- castle. Eric Ortiz is here. Hello. Uh, Ray McGill is out for this month. It seems weirder when you say for this month, but that's just the way we do the show. He couldn't be here um, because of his longstanding conflict with Super Mario. Uh, we're here to talk about Super Mario Brothers. You could have said that Ray was in another castle. That makes a lot more we'll sense. Fix it. We'll fix it in post. We'll fix, we'll fix it in post. post. We'll just cut and paste it. <laughs> uh, but how are you, Rich? I'm good, man. How are I, we're recording this later than we normally do? Uh, I think the holidays set us back a little, a little ways, but that's okay. Busy time um, of season. It is. Shit got out of hand really fast. Yeah, we're hoping everybody out there is happy, healthy, all that good stuff, and not having the Megatron variant. Yeah, dude. I'm, I'm telling you, wait for the Unicron. It's a big deal. I keep it's calling good. it the. I keep the calling point. it by accident the Omnicron, and it's not that. <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's that not. sounds so much doper. <laughs> People are always, they're like, why are you calling it Omnicron? It's Omicron. I'm like, you, I, I can't. You know, the Starscream variant? Well, I was, uh, I was explaining to a friend what Unicron was. Great. And let me, it, it is true. Sometimes there's just a, a bar. You just got to stop at some point. I was like, listen, Unicron, I'm like, back in the day of Cybertron, when Cybertron was an ancient civilization, I just started. <laughs> Do you remember, is this, I'm going to say this on a recording, so it's more fucked up. Our friend Tom I think a big part of our friendship through childhood was me sitting in his room trying to transform his Unicron. That was the big one by Hasbro, right? Yeah. Yeah, if anybody doesn't know what that is, number one, go watch it's Transformers a Armada. That That's a turns legit you to a planet. Series. Yeah, and two, it's just a planet. Exactly. And it, oh, that was so cool. I'm um, actually really disappointed Ray isn't here this month because this is the first time we've brought up a Transformers conversation and he's going to be really disappointed he missed out on it. <laughs> and then next episode he's going to be like, oh, let's talk about Transformers. I'm like, I'm here to talk about a video game, Ray. We're Please. here to talk about GoBots. <laughs> let's be professional. Yeah, the Minicons... It doesn't matter. We're not here to talk about that. They're we're not cool. here to talk about Hotshot, no yeah. matter how cool he is. No matter how cool he is. Uh, we're here to discuss the Super Mario Brothers. That would be the 1985 arcade and home release. Um, I mean, backwards arcade versions that, of Super Mario Brothers that have come out. I'm sure we will talk about the original arcade Mario Brothers at some point because it merits discussing. Yeah. But uh, sure. as always on this podcast, we're here to discuss about the history, development, and legacy of the Super Mario Brothers. So, let's start with the easy one, because I think this is some interesting stuff to get into right away. Super Mario Brothers was released in Japan on Friday, the 13th of September, 1985, for the Famicom. Um, it comes out later in North America, later that same year. But this is one of those interesting games where no matter where you look, it's completely contested when it was released. Um, Because some people will report that it was October 15th of 85 as a launch game. But you can't actually find any proof to support that. And there's a ton of people who say, no, it didn't come out then. It actually came out in November, a month later. November 17th is a date a lot of people point to. Um, And one of the most widely accepted theories is that... The uh, game was released in some stores in October that it had a ship date of uh, October 15th, 1985, which is the same day the NES came out, but a sale date of November 17th, 1985. And we just kind of (laughs) don't, didn't keep records about things like this back in the day, so it's hard to discern what the truth is. Others say it just manifested itself on the shelves. It just appeared in everyone's home. I like the uh, idea that it was on Friday the 13th. It gives it the uh, the spooky element of how it just came to be one time on the night of the blood moon or something like yeah, that. And then Super Mario just, just manifested. There it is. <laughs> it just came to fruition. We do know that it came out in uh, uh, London. Yeah, England in the European version uh, was January of 86, a little bit later. Uh, we're always making those... Euro friends, wait, haha, got him good. Um, <laughs> That'll show him. <laughs> yeah, but <laughs> Mario Brothers is important for a number of reasons. I'd say the most of, we already did an episode on Donkey Kong here. We talked about Mario's first appearance as Jumpman, but uh, Nintendo at the time wanted Miyamoto to make something exclusively for the NES, and they pointed to the success of Mario Brothers for arcades 
but uh, Miyamoto had a number of changes he wanted to make from the title at the time. They obviously had Mario's sprite to work from from that game, Mario and Luigi. But namely, he wanted he wanted the sprite to be bigger, which is where the mushroom power up and Mario getting bigger and stomping on Goombas and Koopas comes from. Um, he wanted a big sprite. Uh, so originally, there was only going to be the big sprite. And then in order to kind of make the screen feel less congested is where they eventually came up with the idea to have Mario take a hit, get smaller, and then take another hit and die. Another weird correction Miyamoto harped on uh, from that original game is the Koopa Troopas, or as they were known in the original Mario Brothers arcade release, the Shell Creepers uh, in Mario Brothers. You had to knock them from below and then step on them. And apparently Miyamoto thought that was really dumb on second thought. He's like, you jump on a turtle shell, it's not going to kill you. So you should be able to jump on those things immediately. Yeah, I wish we... I actually wish they kept the name Shell Creepers. That's just such it's, a, a poignant name. name I mean, it's not terrible. It was better than uh, what it became, which was the Koopa Kids, right? I mean... Well, the Koopa Kids were, uh, you know, the, the children of Bowser later retconned to not be his children, which leads me to a question of who the fuck are they then? Are they, the, like, Bowser's Foot Clan? Is he just I giving mean, them cigarettes? Also, that would imply that there's just a bunch of uh, Koopa-tier Bowsers out there that are just, just lurking. hanging around. And he just recruits them in the, uh, the Mushroom King. It's not the worst thing. I liked them better when they were the kids. It's kind of like the Donkey Kong lore. You just don't know. You're not sure. It, is it the same time Miyamoto once said in an interview that he actually liked to think of... Uh, all the Mario franchise characters as like a traveling circus putting on shows. So by that logic, they're all just friends. I mean, and that's further evidence by even say Mario three, right? Yeah. It's a play. Yeah. It's a play. So that, that blew my mind. Didn't, I know we're not here to talk about that specifically. Blew we're, my well, freaking mind episode, as a kid. You know we're going to do that episode. Blew Probably my freaking mind as a kid. I did not know that until a good decade after. And even then, I had to quickly download the ROM and just verify. It was nuts. Just go on through it. It's creative. Um, before we dive too deep on further development and stuff, let's start with the question we always start with. Eric, Where? Uh, what was your first experience with the original Super Mario Brothers? Where, when did you play it, and, and what are your thoughts? Uh, definitely the two-in-one pack with Duck Hunt at the time for the Nintendo. Um, I think it's probably the same for me. Yeah, the the two-in-one pack at the time, and I don't know if that's just because of release timelines or not, but that that's my older brother had so that it. That was the 88 release, yeah. That yeah. would have already been in my house when I was a kid. Yeah, um, that was with the zappers, um, the zapper guns there, but yeah, I played it first then. I don't even think I played Duck Hunt that much. I really just played Mario. That was that was a great game. Perfect game. I remember my dad playing a lot of Duck Hunt. I remember watching my dad play Duck Hunt. I remember distinctly. Oddly enough, I remember the sound, the clicking sound of the zapper gun when you pressed it, when you pulled the trigger, more than the actual game itself. It's just so distinct. It's memorable. Like yeah. I, I have fond memories of that gun. Um, but I, I think, yeah, that was on, on the NES, it would have been that original home release, but, yeah. you know, the, the 88, like, two-in-one pack release, because by that point, that was pretty much the standard pack-in, with, if you were buying the, not the top-loading, but the, the, well, no, the top, it would have been the top-loading for the original NES, yeah, I'm thinking of, uh, pack-ins with the Super Nintendo, but I'm mm. getting ahead of myself there, um, little fun fact, as long as we're talking about the carts there, did you know, um, that originally Super Mario Brothers was intended by Nintendo to be their last cartridge release. I did not know that. The Famicom Disk System came out the same year. Super Mario Brothers was supposed to be their last mainline cartridge release, but then the Disk System did not do as well as they had hoped. Well, well, well. Don't you think that's pretty interesting, too? Because these days now, of course, disk media is the standard. Well, digital's becoming the standard yeah. but disc media was disc the media okay you know <laughs> like get a load of this that. nerd yeah. <laughs> that was pretty funny no uh yeah i mean it, disc media was the thing so it's always interesting to see how nintendo was playing around with it sega played around with it then playstation just went full bore with it for a while and then eventually they all just caught on and nintendo's still rocking non-disc they're still going with like chips and uh other pieces of physical hardware. It's just insane. Yeah, it's it's kind of crazy, like how they stuck with it for so long and then further went back to it. Yeah, the, yeah, they dipped in and release. then they did it again, and they just went back. the The amount of stuff they were able to do, though, Super Mario, uh, really shows what Nintendo could get out of cartridges because the whole reason they were changing is the thought was like ROM carts were limited. Um, 
And things we sort of take for granted now, like, it was a big deal when Super Mario Brothers launched that it had a, a background that wasn't just black. Yeah. Like, you think of all the uh, arcade games from the time, like Space Invaders and, like, the big golden era arcade games just had, like, static black backgrounds. Mar- Mario popped for that reason, and it stood out because of its huge sprite. Like, Mario with the, the power-up shroom, he is bigger than any character anyone had controlled in a video game to date at that point. Yeah, and um, in terms of, and we'll, we'll absolutely talk about it, but the general design of the game, too, it's pretty genius, at least just from a, a game design perspective. Um, for Not only just the background reasons, but also just for the general level structure that they created. Everything just had a purpose for being the way it was. Um, and it was just very intuitively designed to just be able to be picked up by anybody and just played. Yeah. And I think now's actually a good time to get into that a little bit because it it's such a standard design like uh for that action platformer is kind mm-hmm. of where this comes from and Mario because of this sort of feels like a genre all its own but it's such a good foundation that everything since then is pretty much built off of and it is in a time where games weren't great at tutorializing yeah it creates this idea of idea introduction and iteration as a form of tutorialization. Um, like, World 1-1 has sort of become this iconic tutorial, and it was one of the last levels made for the game. Like, the designers were building the hard levels first, because they were familiar with how the mechanics worked, but then they needed to, after playtesting, create something that was easy for people to go, okay, we're going to introduce some simple ideas. Um, these enemies, Goombas, which, again, Goombas were an idea that were introduced towards the end. Originally, it was just Koopa Troopas, but they were less intuitive to fight. So they needed something you would just stomp on, and it would die. They needed to show you how the power-up mushroom worked. They needed some simple platforming. And then from there, every level just kind of expands on those initial ideas of running and jumping and stomping on enemies and avoiding obstacles. Yeah. And it's still, for those who have played it or just thinking about it, and in scope, you're just thinking, well, it's pretty straightforward. You know, I, that's, that's also the point. And it's still being studied, I would even say. I've seen it in certain game design um, classes and just general courses and in terms of just making a good game. This is still used as an example, World 1-1. Um, it's, yeah. as you said, it introduces pretty... It is essential in introducing pretty much everything you need to know, and then you're done. You're good. And you yeah, you often there, see it today. expand upon those ideas. Yeah, and you, I mean, for... Those listening too, when you think back to a time where you've played a game just out the gate, it always, at least for me, I've always come with a few examples of just how fucking confusing it is um, without understanding how you actually play the game, without finding out later, may, or maybe even worse via the controls option pane when you go into the menu and you have to find it out yourself that way. That, um, that's the worst feeling. Thing it's the worst feeling. Dig around to be like, all right, how do I do this? How do I do that? Mario is simple and it just. It, it doesn't hold your hand, but it, it makes things easy and then expands upon them. And then it also puts things in for experienced players. Like, the whole idea of those early warp pipes that let you go as far as, like, World 4, mm-hmm. everybody always thinks of them as, like, some secret exploit, but that was a very deliberate design choice, and it was meant to be there for people who have played this game to death and don't want to play the early super easy worlds. They just want to go straight to, like, World 8 and do the more complicated stuff. It was meant to be like a, almost like a, uh, a rudimentary save state, if you will. Yeah, for sure. And they even further, um, gave people something more to play with, uh, with the further iterations of the lost levels, which were just way harder. And, um, yeah, originally that would be super Mario brothers two mm-hmm. in Japan. Yep. And then that, you know, the one that was too hard for us, us <laughs> United States folks, the U S people. Um, yeah. So they, they were really good about, just introducing concepts and rolling with it. And when you actually think about it, too, it, it, it's kind of astounding how the Mario IP, obviously you have all these different iterations of Mario, but the Super Mario structure and IP, it's remained pretty consistent throughout all decades. It, and it's the foundation of everything that comes after, whether it's... Yeah. It's what's the new idea. like, and, and some of those things were percolating early. If you look at early design docs for Super Mario, there are drawings of Yoshi. Like... There are drawings of, like, different projectiles and things that would come in later games. And, I mean, at this point, you're looking... Mario is... 
I believe worth an S. Yeah, I hold on. It's worth estimated to be worth about thirty six billion dollars, making it one of the biggest media franchises ever. Thirty six billion for literally an Italian plumber. I you can't wrap your head around it. It's so much money, so much money. And when you think they made a they made an amusement park out of it, man. Like yeah, I mean that's recent. Yeah. Um. We should talk a little bit here about the early the design team because I feel like Shigeru Miyamoto has obviously come up on this show before. He is the name everyone knows, but the two names that really mean something when it comes to Super Mario are Shigeru Miyamoto and Takashi Tezuka. Yep. And they, I believe, worked together originally on they worked on Excite Bike, but the first game they came together on was Devil World, which I don't believe we actually got Devil World in the U.S. till much later. Um, for anyone who's played Super Smash Brothers. They'll probably know that trophy of, like, the blue devil who makes the screen move. Um, that is from Devil World. Um, devil World was one of the earliest, like, side-scrolling games that made the screen scroll like that. And then that sort of tech, along with the tech that made Bike, would eventually be the culmination that brought Mario together. And it's kind of crazy to think that these two men were working on <laughs> Super Mario and The Legend of Zelda at the same exact time. That's always that's always the most insane fact to me. It, it blows um, my mind. And the the ever famous fire sticks from uh, Super Mario were actually originally designed for Legend of Zelda, and then the asset was just transposed to the other game because they thought it worked better in Mario. I lo- I always love hearing about stories like that. It's it's just so cool. There's just yeah. two of the most influential IPs in game, or I should say, recognizable IPs in gaming. Um, and they were just working on them concurrently. <laughs> it's like. Okay. It's it's absolutely insane. Like those two things that are now synonymous with Nintendo as a brand were just casually being worked on side by side. Yeah, we and we've talked about this before and I remember I think with Castlevania or even some other of the other episodes and it goes here. I mean, that's the, it's a recurring theme of this entire show, but when you truly think about it, these guys are working concurrently on these foundational games that if they weren't made you would not have a lot of games today that you probably love that are based off of those foundational mechanics that they built in these. Um, and they were, at its core, they seem pretty simplistic in nature, but they were just designed so intelligently. These guys had so much talent. It's just insane. And, I mean, they they continue to. Like, they're still... It's insane to think Miyamoto is still working on stuff to this day. Like, things like Breath of the Wild and just continuing to, to make phenomenal games. Like... Uh, there's a certain genius for this particular line of work that is just kind of unmatched. Yeah, and even even Excitebike, which at its you know you look at Excitebike, you're like, yeah, okay. Excitebike was pretty cool back in the day. I really liked it. Uh, Excitebike is yeah, still another game. one that kind of goes down in history as the Excitebike is that classic arcade racer, like the the touch step to that stuff. Um, another interesting part of the original Mario release because I think it. Uh, sort of changed the way game would be designed after this is the soundtrack. Um, so if we could talk a little bit about Koji Kanda, who was the a sound designer at Nintendo who wrote the six-track score for Super Mario Brothers. Legend. And it's an interesting case because it is the first time, at least that I could find an example, of the soundtrack being worked on in tandem with the game. Usually, they would just do that stuff after. But um, they wanted something being... They wanted placeholder sounds while they were doing it. In fact, the overworld music was changed after Koji got to play a build of the game and decided himself that the original music he composed just didn't fit with Mario's movements and the overall tone of the game. Yeah. And um, this is the one where... Tell me if I'm right with this. Did the music stop or progressively get faster? And by fast, I mean up until it's no more normal pace as Mario moved. Was that this version of the game? Or am I thinking of just another version that somebody made back in the day? I think that came in later versions, but it, that idea is sort of integral here because, like I said, it was the first time the music was made in tandem and uh, Koji was playing builds of the game and then working on the music. Like, the music was integral to this game, and that wasn't really the case before. It was just, hey, we need six tracks for this video game. Here's a loose pitch of it. And they would work something up. Like, he, he was playing iterations of the game and then going to work on the music and making changes for what he, he felt meant it tonally. He wanted something that reflected the world, and Miyamoto and uh, Dezuka wanted the same thing. 
Yeah, and again, just to give context to how influential his music was, you cannot... Actually, there might be a mistake here. I had notes. I totally That is in the original release. The music of Super Mario Brothers is coordinated with the on-screen animations of the various sprites. Oh, it is. Okay. Uh, which is how Kondo created a sense of greater immersion. Yeah, it was so... I mean, it was so long ago. <laughs> but, no, yeah, I do remember that the music would kind of pick up its pace up until its normal pacing, um, which I was always pretty and cool. Space Invaders did something similar originally. Yeah. Um, but that was more in tandem with the, the music in Space Invaders gets faster um, as there are more aliens on screen and as the aliens themselves speed up. But this felt more affected by the player just because of the way Mario moves through the world. Yeah, it's kind of funny, too, because with Space Invaders, exactly to your point, you get more anxious uh, when the music picked up. Or even think of uh, Sonic with his underwater music when he's about to drown. Like It's supposed to give you anxiety or just give you a sense of doom. With Mario, I always just felt like it was positive. Like That was the pace that you were supposed to go in the game, and it was just always really fun and upbeat. And it kind of challenged you a bit. You're like, hey, you want to keep the music going. You just got to keep moving. Yeah, keeps you going in the tone. And actually, the... Uh the dreaded uh, water levels of Super Mario Brothers. That was the first track uh, Koji Kondo wrote, because according to him, they told him underwater level, and he knew exactly what that should sound like. Yeah, of course, and I hate I hate underwater levels of anything, but it does slap. It's a good track, and again, when I think about the levels, I don't even need to hear the tracks to hear to know the tracks. Like they can, it's just insane again. When I think about it, I sound like a big simp for Mario, because I am. You could really... You should be. You could really play any of these tracks, because they still persist today. You can literally play any one of these tracks, and you would know exactly what game it's from. And you don't even need to be... Um, you know, you don't even need to have a well-versed knowledge of video games or its history. Everybody knows these tracks. You play the Mario track from World 1-1, everybody knows it. Bar none, they know it's Mario... That's just how influential the overall game and presence was around the world, and that's how insane it is. Like, you play something from Donkey Kong Country these days, you're not going to get a lot of people to know what that is, but you play anything, the pipe music, the underground, the water, whatever it is, someone's going to go, is this Mario? And it's insane. It stands out immediately. And they use it like, today. They still do. They still make variations of those classic tracks, in, even in the newest iterations of their games. And it's just insane how they just they persist just through time. Yeah. To iterate off that original, those original sounds, like even sound effects in Mario, purely like I, I, I've been at work before and I'm a weird guy, so like I just make like a uh, uh, when I've had people like, did, did you just do thwomp? And I'm like, no, <laughs> go, get away from my desk. Nobody does that, Rich. It's like nobody does that. <laughs> no, that literally happened to me. <laughs> I know, but I'm saying it's like nobody does. That. It's like I don't know if anybody else has done this before. I'm like nobody's done. That. <laughs> I'm just like <laughs> filing paperwork and I'm like. Uh, uh. Oh, uh, that's great. Um, well, one of the reasons why also, I know every game has their titular track. Um, I was sure. going to say, one of the reasons why I actually like Nintendo a lot is because they always pay homage to their originals. Um, and I'm not just saying that from, you know, every game does it. It's marketing. You you associate the music with what you know. So you hear the Halo track, you're going to know it's Halo. Like, they're, they're never going to replace the core track, but... Nintendo has a tendency with all their games um, to honestly just take the same soundtracks that they've been using and use variations of them. And it really we'll does... We about in our last episode, Street Fighter is a game that does the same, same, same deal. thing. And it's, it's I love when companies do that, whether it's Capcom, Nintendo. I mean, they just do it really well. And on the other end of the spectrum, too, you have games like, say, Mega Man. Mega Man did not use a lot of the same soundtracks across their games. They always changed it up from the title sequences right down to the stage. Like Mega Man really didn't have a core track. I mean, it does. I, I know the Mega Man theme yeah. in my head when I think about it, but I don't think they did it all the time. They only borrowed certain tracks for certain games across the board, but... And I think with games like Mega Man, you more start to... What starts to stick out more is, like, you'll remember a track from a certain level, like Metal Man's music. Exactly. Exactly embedded in my psyche yeah they just had these guys just had a very good way of being able to identify and understand when something had to be unique compared to a game like say mario where consistency was its only benefit you know you're always going to get a world one one that is very similar to the original world one one of super mario um it's always yeah, it, consistency it's, familiarity with like slight differences and that's why like mario spawned a ton of different versions over the years and i actually even wanted to 
bring up while we're talking about this. Have do you have any experience with Super Mario Brothers Special, um, which was the Hudson Soft PC version that only came to Japan? I did not actually. No. Um, because yeah, I was looking at some footage of this. Like this is the first experience I, I knew of it, but I didn't really know what it was. Um, because when thinking about Mario on PC, what I always start to think of is one, the Gianna Sisters, which is the PC, the uh, the ripoff for the Commodore mm-hmm. that is 100% the same game um, and is somehow still a series running to this day. I, I looked into it. A Steam, there's a Steam Gianna Sisters that like just came out. Um, but uh, And I always think of id when it was first launching, id Software. Based, John Romero and John Carmack basically made uh, remade Mario from the ground up for the PC mm-hmm. um, and sent it to Nintendo and were like, we have made this. We would like you to publish it. And they were like, no, thank you. Um and that's the story of how Commander Keen became a thing. But uh, in Japan in 86, for the NEC PC-8801 and Sharp X1 personal computers, which were Japanese computers, uh, Hudson Soft put out Super Mario Bros. Special, um, which was a similar game, but it didn't have proper scrolling because of hardware limitations. PCs at the time could not do the same kind of uh, static scrolling you got on console. Um... It has slightly different level designs, and it has different items and different enemies based on Mario Brothers and Donkey Kong. That's cool. So, like, there's these weird... and There's there's a ton of versions like this. There's the the original Mario Brothers Game & Watch, which I would love to get a hold of, but they've released anniversary editions of things like that recently. Yeah, um, I saw those. Those are pretty cool, actually. I mean, it's not for really me, but it's for collectors. It's... Pretty awesome. I mean, in terms of collectors, like that Zelda one, I wanted more than anything because it is a game and watch that you could straight up play the original Zelda on. Yeah, I saw that. I love the design of it. It just looked cool. Looks gorgeous. Nintendo once again, they always once in a blue moon. They're like, "Yo, you guys need like a game and watch style of Zelda." I'm like, "Nah, man. Why?" He goes, "Oh, we just made this, but only oh, limited count amount, and we're never gonna do it please. again." Yeah, thirty bucks, and it's gonna sell out immediately. And they go, "Now nah, we're done." Like that. That was it. Wait, we're done. I'm like, I definitely don't need that, but I do want it. Bring it up. <laughs> Like they um, shove it in your face and like you want it, don't you? And you're like, yeah, and they go, sorry, sold out. Can't help it. There's a, a ton of modded Mario versions. There's one I wanted to bring up specifically because about a couple years ago, I actually played this, totally mm-hmm. got it legally on the internet. It wasn't an illegal thing. Please stop asking questions. Um, do you know anything about All Night Nippon Super Mario Brothers? I'm I'm going to pretend I just understood what you just said. So okay, yeah. So th- this is a super interesting thing, and I don't know why it was interesting for me to play at all. All Night Nippon is basically like a late night show in Japan. Um, and in December of 86, there was a game called All Night Nippon Super Mario Brothers released for the Famicom Disk System. Wow. It was a promotional item uh, for the radio show All Night Nippon uh, that was made by the same developers who made Doki Doki Panic. Great game. Uh, basically, it's Super Mario Brothers, but it's like weirdly more difficult and it has different enemies based off like hosts from the show and like the princess is based off some Japanese idol um, and like DJs and recording artists like it's kind of insane it goes for like $500 now like, yeah it's rare to find this well this one also has Mario game and Luigi game in it which is different than what they had originally um, yes they had two different ways of playing it I did see oddly enough I have seen this cover before of this game it got weirdly popular, and there were places you can get it online, and I think the main reason it got brought up again was because, and I think getting a weird like thumb drive download for the Wii is how I played it back in the day, because there was a 25th anniversary Wii released in 2010 in Japan that came with a preloaded version of this. Your, your capability to be able to find a copy or a thumb drive of any of this and get this game is astounding to me. <laughs> just looking at it, just looking at it, I think it's a collector's item that somebody only has in, like, copies of 20. It's, I mean, it's one of those things where, like, if you look hard enough, it exists on the internet somewhere. I'm um, like, to have that actual console, like, I'm sure it would cost me an insane amount of money to track it down. For enthusiasts only, for sure. And it just doesn't mean enough to me to want to do that, but it was oh, the not. prospect of somebody going, there's a different version of Super Mario Brothers out there, and me going, well, I would like to play that, please. Oh, you're not a big fan of All Night Nippon? I'm a mega <laughs> fan. I'm not terribly familiar with their work. I'm a mega fan. Oh, absolutely, aren't we all? <laughs> Are we all just mega fans?
this game though has been ported so many times. This original yeah. game. I an astounding think... amount of parts. I think Super Mario All Stars is probably the version I've played the most of. Yeah. Rightfully the so. The reworked too. version that yeah. came out in ninety three. Yeah. Um on the SNES. So like basically the I mean the main differences there are really just it can match sixteen bit capabilities. Like it was upraised, it looks a lot better. Um, and it has that built-in two-player mechanic, which isn't really much of a mechanic. It's just it telling you to switch the hand the controller to somebody else. Yeah. And uh, I do have the... I have the Super Mario Deluxe Game Boy Color one. And okay. that's a good one. Or at least it's just a good one to, ha- to have, I guess, on the yeah. go. It's, it's Mario on the go. Um, I, lo- I always like their ports because... Frankly, they just give you the same game most of the time, and then they just give you an additional capability to it. Like, the Game Boy Color one had a challenge mode, I think. And um, All-Stars, like you said, they cleaned it up a bit. They just added some new things into it and rolled with it then. And that's not even the last time they've ever iterated it, where they've then re-released it several other times. But they've always incorporated maybe a little extra into it um, to just say, hey, you know, it's not a one-to-one, but here you go. Yeah, but... People tend to complain about it more these days, but Nintendo is really great at repackaging things. They're, people complain. I do. I know we did back in the day when they just did the yeah. uh, the All-Stars for the 3D Mario, but they're the kings, unquestionable kings of repackaging things that people are going to buy 100%. 100% people are going to buy it, and they know it too. Um, and they find a way to, like, mat- like I think back to that Super Mario's All-Star release, like, one of the cool things with that purchase was it came with uh, a CD soundtrack. Which yep. For a video game, that was not something easy to get hold of, especially in the United States at the time. Not at all. Um, the Super Mario 3D All-Stars for the Switch that came out a year ago or two years ago. Time is a flat circle, I can't tell. Um, it comes with the soundtracks on there and weirdly like adds a functionality to the switch where you could put it in standby mode and still play the music yeah, just just to have it um yeah they always give you something and is that something worth it uh, you know it's subjective you know it's a subjective yeah. opinion some people really dig that kind of stuff but do i care too much no but it's cool to have i mean sometimes you'll just go to the music area and you'll just play some stuff and i i just think it's cool it's just a uh a repackaged bit. They were repackaging things before it was cool. And, um, and they're going to keep doing it until we're all dead. Yeah, you know, I, I see a lot of complaints these days, especially when it comes to Nintendo on their various methods of delivery, but they've been doing it ever since the original Super Mario. You know, it, still it's still buying it. It's going to keep happening. Yep, it's going to keep happening. And uh, they'll find a way to make it fresh for you. Like the new Super Mario Bro- You could even argue that the new Super Mario Brothers that they release later. I mean, yeah, it's core, it's Super Mario. They obviously made it yeah. wildly different, but that, that was actually like one of the Super next Mario. things I was going to bring up. Like yeah. you talk about iteration in that sense, like the core of Super Mario is still alive in the, the fact that they made the new Super Mario Brothers series. Like alongside Mario's evolution into 3D and Mario 64, they continued to make classic like faux 2D Mario games, and they still feel great. Like, I complain about New Super Mario Brothers sometimes in the terms of, like, playing that game with four players feels a little too busy to me sometimes. Mm-hmm. Uh, just bopping on each other's heads. But, like, the core of it is still perfect. And introducing new mechanics, new enemies, new power-ups is really all it needs to stay fresh. Yeah. And the number... I mean, the sales numbers don't lie either. I think it's consistently every time they come out the new one. I think the only one that didn't do as well was uh, maybe New Super Mario Brothers 2 because it kind of... I think people were catching on that it's it was literally the same thing, just yeah. modified slightly. But it Probably was fair. it was a best-selling game at the time when it just re-released. I like the, the Luigi one. You remember that in the year of Luigi? Yeah, and they, they made years. a new... Yeah, well, yeah, that was only appropriate. And uh, yeah, that was a completely new thing. And they just kind of put this spin on it, and they just reuse... It's, it's often incredible because from a design perspective, they are just replacing some assets with different um, capabilities that they've already developed. And they just make a new game out of it, and they're just like, here you go. Right, there you go. Um, just go nuts. And I think it's also a testament to the Mario Maker games. Just how simple, yet abstract, you could it could be to design a Mario game. And the Absolutely. creations that you've seen. And I don't want to dive into the whole rabbit hole of Mario Maker itself, but it truly, I think, out of recent times, that was one of the cooler things that Nintendo has actually created and developed. And it's also a shame that they never really supported uh, Mario Maker 2, even past its shelf life. But 
it's like, just it's still a great game, and it shows excellent. Like, how fundamental that game is. And you, you talk about like the systems it used to help help you understand, like original Super Mario Brothers. A lot of those levels, uh, Tezuka and Miyamoto were just drawing on graph paper, and then the team of like seven programmers was manually entering the stuff because that's how. That's how you, programming you can used to be. Break it down. Yeah, it's it's insane, but it it shows. And um, I think the the one thing we really didn't touch on was uh, the actual eventual arcade release of that. Mm-hmm. Um, because you have the arcade archives versions of uh, Super Mario Brothers on Switch and stuff, which are a little different. Most of the play I did just to you know refamiliarize myself with it before we recorded this was on that uh, virtual console stuff on the Switch, but. Uh, in 86, uh, they ba- they put out an arcade version, which was a lot of people who did not own Nintendo's home console's first experience with Switch. Um, and that, that blew up in Europe more so than the U.S., the arcade version. Like, it was at the top of Sega's charting for, you know, back when Sega still kind of owned the arcade world. Um, they still do in some respects, but the arcade world just really isn't that big anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it is the eighth top-grossing arcade video game um, in the U.S. ever, I believe, last time they, they charted those. That's insane. That's insane. Yeah, it sold 20,000 arcade units within its first few months. You know, I see Miyamoto these days, right? This guy's mm-hmm. just rolling. He's collecting just his checks. The, around the canteen. Yeah, around just around the canteen, just chilling. Collecting his royalties. The man's loaded. He's lo- he's beyond loaded. I know he is. You can't you can't make a thirty six billion dollar IP and then you know yeah be struggling out there. Now he made he made about twelve thirty six dollars. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, the guy's just rolling in it, and I often sometimes think used to think of him every time he shows up now in these Nintendo directs and everything. I'm like, oh, it's Miyamoto. You know, he's the father of Mario. Sometimes I cannot. I often lose focus at how handsome he is. Well, yes, of course. The sheer magnitude of his influence on video games is insane. It's insane. It's insane. And you know what? I just forget. The reason why I mentioned it is just because you forget sometimes. You just do. You see Mario sometimes. He's bopping around. You're laughing. You're clapping your hands like a seal. And you're thinking, this is hilarious. This guy, the influence that this has had over the past few decades on games, platforms, like you were even saying, Gianna Sisters or any of the others, there are so many clones of this game and people oh, down to the letter have copied even the level structure because it's just so timeless and it's not because people are devoid of ideas but it's because frankly when it comes to platforming there's just general gaming few, few things do it as well and few things do it, it as well when you talk about like the clones it's amazing that we've gotten to a point that like a good chunk of those clones just also come out on Switch's e-front because it's almost like Dennis like go ahead we don't care yeah because you're never you will never compete with the king that's why absolute and if I were them do the same thing let them do it you're only pushing your brand because you know what people are gonna say every time they play that clone which is what I've done even in the past I go oh man this is pretty cool but Mario did it this way and you're people always gonna draw only, comparisons people are only playing this because they're looking for more Mario. Yo, they ruined it. I really wish uh, Super Mario Bros. 35 was still out. So do I. I, w- I wish I... Uh, Super Mario 35, for anyone who's unaware, I feel like most people listening to this probably know, uh, was sort of that Tetris 99 iteration where 35 people are playing Mario simultaneously, and it just Great keeps game. getting crazier and dropping levels with like multiple Bowsers until one person is left standing. My main problem with that game, Eric, Great game. was unlike Pac-Man or Tetris... I felt like it always came down to, like, me and two other guys, and then we'd be there for, like, 45 minutes. Yeah. Survival of the fittest. A battle of attrition. Sometimes it made me incredibly anxious. It made me anxious, especially when I lost. It was a battle of attrition. Oh, yeah, that's 100% what it was. The real stuff. But, yeah. No, it was actually... It was just more of a fun idea that I think they just messed around with, and we're like, here you go. Enjoy yourselves. Um, It was definitely neat. I... The game is Zelda so, 37. Well, that's that's another that's a completely different beast 37 people playing Ocarina of Time. Can how many me? do we know how many times do we have a hard number for how many times Super Mario is actually ported? Like I know we say that you know Resident Evil 4 is the most ported um, game on like planet Earth, but 
it was hard was it? for me to find an exact statistic on that. Uh, the short answer is a fucking lot. Yeah. Um, let's do some live research and see if I can find it. I mean, I like to sometimes. Live research is... I mean, we have all these supercomputers. How many ports of the Super Mario... Well, that's a uh, that's a 27-minute video, so I ain't doing that. But um, I'll tell you this. A lot. <laughs> it's a lot. <laughs> it's yeah, a I'll tell you this. I don't know it for sure, but I'll tell you this. It's a lot. And... Yeah. People, if you've played this, because I know at this point of the show you're going to tell people, hey, you know, do you recommend people play this nowadays? Especially yeah. for those who, for whatever reason, possesses them. They've just never touched it. I'll tell you this. Yeah. Even if you're not a fan of video games, which I don't know why you're listening to this then, but maybe you're just interested and you're dabbling. Uh, just, there's some guy staring at you on the train, and this was the first podcast you found when you searched, please help me. I'll, I'll be so real. If you just discovered us on that unique part of the, the corner of the internet, like the dark side of the moon, you came and you found this. I'll tell you this. You're on the high line in Brooklyn trying <laughs> to avoid an attacker. Maybe. Just for whatever reason why you're here. If you have not played Mario... It's not pronounced Mario. It is Mario. Mario. It's not Mayor like a horse. It's Mario. Mario. If you've never played that, play the original Super Mario Brothers. And if you really haven't played it... I think it's truly timeless. Yeah, and if you wanted my recommendation of which one is the best one to play, I personally think the Super Mario Brothers Deluxe for the Game Boy Color was the best because it added a lot of stuff to it. But if you ever just want to play the base, you cannot go wrong with it. You literally can't. If you have that Switch Online subscription... It's right there waiting for yeah, you. It, you cannot... The game isn't... It may look dated. You may think, oh, that's an old game. The game is not dated. It's just not. It's a game that is timeless for Mechanically, absolutely not. And it's still gorgeous to look at. Like, absolutely. It still pops. The music is still great, too. It's all... Yes. Is the... Is it pixelated? Is it bitted? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is. You know, it's, it's, not, it's not Skyrim. Maybe. But I'll tell you, it is timeless. You will always come back at some form or another to Super Mario's roots in whatever platforming game you're going to play. It's just game. You'll be getting lost in that uh, that that World 8 castle trying to figure out why you keep seeing the same hallways over again. you got to figure it out. Man. Yeah, this, isn't, this, out doesn't be, this isn't us trying to tell you, yeah, you should play Castlevania sometime. I don't care if you don't play any of that. Yeah, you totally should. But if you're not going to play Street Fighter Castlevania, fine, you know, whatever. This is it. Like, even if you're not into platformers, it's impossible to not have touched this game. It's just not. I, I would refuse to believe you if you even told me you like video games and were like, oh yeah, I've never played Mario. I wouldn't believe you. Yeah, it just makes sense to me. It doesn't add up. Yeah, and if you were, and if you were serious, no disrespect, but you know what the hell? Like, it just Come on, man. this game is everywhere. <laughs> it's literally and figuratively everywhere. Um, and I think still some arcades still have it. I think they have more of the original Mario Brothers probably. Um, but I've still seen some arcades have the cabinets for Mario, yeah, Super Mario. It might Mario. be hard. Like, finding an arcade to begin with is yeah. hard at some point. If you ever want to um, quest out for that, sure. But Yeah. You know, I'm out, I spend my nights out in the city looking for Super Mario World pinball machines. So, you know, you got to find those rarities. Yeah, but that's cool. When you brought me to that pinball machine place and you were talking about the recent cabinets now, you know how many people now I point to Willy Wonka? I'm like, oh, my friend Rich told me about this. I'm like, this Dude, I want to go back there so bad. Um, well, Rich... I'll even ask you this. It's an asinine question. Would you recommend people play Mario? I. It's a timeless game. It literally cannot be touched. I think if you if you play video games at all and you've never played Super Mario Brothers, first of all, I'm shocked. shocked but secondly, appalled. you owe it to yourself to, to see it. This is where one of the most popular genres in gaming comes from, and few do it better to this day. You'll never not find this game on... Oh, wait. What was I going to say? Yeah, you'll never... You'll find this game... I hate when saying never not. You're going to find this never game... Not. I hate double negatives. Um, this game is always going to be on the best games of all times list. If you're ever looking up Absolutely. things like that... And it, let me tell you something. Whether Whatever your opinions are of these lists, because they're always opinionated on these publications, you're always going to find on platformer lists or just general game, greatest games of all time list, Mario is there. And it's not going to change. It may not be number one or whatever it is. It's not going to change, though. It's there for a reason because, like I was saying earlier, they're still teaching the core structure in educational classes about game design. Like, yeah, it, if it's not the most important game ever, it's it's in the top ten 
without a doubt, within the in the top five, without a doubt, of one of the most important video games of all time. It's like Iron Man status, where someone just goes, <laughs> somebody's trying to create a Mario clone, and he goes, Miyamoto is able to build this on graph paper on a computer. <laughs> Why the fuck can't you do? Yeah, um, it's just. It's a game that you... I have to give props to to the... There's not much to say about it past this point, but I will say I even have to give props to the overall design of the game itself, too, because you could not find a random, a more random cast of characters that are thrown together in this world, and it just works. Oh, Mario and Luigi were, I think, the easy ones for Miyamoto. He talks a little bit about... Um... The, the Bowser or King Koopa design at the time being one of the harder ones. And he realized after the fact that he was looking, I believe it's Alakazam, the Toei animation film about the Ox King. And he's like, I was trying to put like an ox's head on a turtle's body and it was just looking weird. And eventually we ended up with Bowser. And Bowser's iconic now. His, you know yeah. what I mean? Like you were able to fit two plumbers, some blue collar workers from Brooklyn. You get a princess Princess Toadstool. Yeah, you get Princess Toadstool. You get her, at the time, servant, Toad. You get King Koopa. And then somewhere in there, you sprinkle some Goombas, a Lakitu Cloud, and some... some Hammer Bros. You get some wacky stuff. And I also encourage you guys to actually look up some of the classic art books that they have. You can probably find them online as a PDF. They are absolutely gorgeous. They're so fun to look at. I'm not even a big fan of looking up art books for game designs like those, but Mario... Honestly, it's a fun one. There's a lot of cool designs that they just threw out there that they didn't even use in the game, but you can see some of the early sketches. It's kind of insane just how good they were. Things like there's early designs for Yoshi, which wouldn't even come to fruition until Super Mario World, but like the ideas were always there. Yeah, it, and again, it's just it's a testament to how zany and fun and creative it was because Yoshi was a, a freaking dinosaur, man. They just like, what if the what if the plumber wrote a dinosaur yeah. <laughs> in the writers' room? <laughs> In the programmers, Miyamoto crashes everything. He just goes... And they're like, get the fuck out of here. You're president of marketing now. Yeah, they just do it. So, overall, I don't know, Rich, if you want to dabble into anything else, but overall, this is this is the game. We've already done four episodes of it, but this is the game that I will say, no matter how many episodes of this that we make, that is the most influential. It's bar none. It's a no-brainer. Everybody knows Absolutely. It. And further proving that I, I think we covered what we needed to cover here, but further proving that the order of how we do the show is never going to make any sense. I'm pretty sure we're doing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater next. I like that. You know what? That's the, And you know what I'm going to say the next time, too? I'm going to say, you know, you're never going to find another episode that's as influential with a game like this. It's either you know There's it no or you don't. no more influential video game than Tony Hawk's Pro Skater. Yeah, you find any top games list, you're going to find this one as number one. It's a non-issue. Um, are we doing Tony Hawk next time? Yes, we are. That's a big one. I'm, I'm very excited about that. Sorry Tony for just blowing Skater. so much static. Yeah, that. yeah I, I'm, I'm in that. I believe uh, I believe we're doing Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, and then we're doing Mega Man 1 and 2 as a single episode. Oh, my God. Yeah, the structure. I like the structure of the show. You go from Tony Hawk I, into Mega Man. It's, it's great. Fun. Nobody can tell. Nobody can know or guess where we're going to possibly go. That's the best part. Absolutely not. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Ray should be back for that one, but we hope you enjoyed hanging out with us. Imagine if we just um, throw caution to the wind, and the next episode is just Cubert. We don't tell I, anybody. Dude, I can't. <laughs> we don't, don't tell I, anyone. I, I love Cubert so much. Great I game. can't wait to do Cubert. We'll get there. We'll get there. We'll get there. Um, we got some big episodes for this is the first episode of 2022. Great stuff. Um, Kirby has a big anniversary this year, so I imagine we'll be doing Kirby at some point. Great stuff. Um, we got stuff planned. Kirby's but, trippy, uh, man. Kirby's thanks, trip. thanks for listening, everybody. Uh, you can find us always on. Right here at Chomping at the Bits in the Sword Chomp Network of Podcasts, swordchomp.com, and you can find all our other fun podcasts there. But, um, Eric, thanks for hanging out and chatting with me about the Mario Brothers. It's always a pleasure. You can pull me out of bed to talk about some plumbers anytime. Ever, anytime, anytime. Wait, 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 wait. What's your favorite Mario game before we cap it? Super Mario World. You think so, huh? If we're talking like, yeah, in, in the 2D Mario space, definitely yeah. Super Mario World for me. Yeah, I was talking about the 2D Mario space. I I understand. People put Yoshi's Island a lot as their favorite. Yoshi's Island feels like a different thing to me. It's and a completely I think you different it hate it. Yeah. And I really like that game. Like, I will fight tooth and nail for people that say it's a bad game. It's not. It's The reason people think Yoshi's Island is bad 
is because those are the people that call it Super Mario World 2 Yoshi's Island. Because it shouldn't be called that. It's a totally different thing. I, I think it's... I agree. I'm actually glad you said that because I agree with that. I think it's just a different game, different mechanics, different As level structure. As a sequel to Super Mario World, it doesn't hold up. As its own thing and a very different thing at that, I think it's a really good game. Yeah. I think it's an excellent game. Um, I would also have to say Super Mario World just because... It may be fueled purely by nostalgia. That game legitimately blew my mind as a kid. And because you loved Dinosaur Land. I did. And the first time I was able to get the key into the keyhole thing, it blew my mind. The game had so many secrets and extra content in it that it just could not... It, did you know as, it was uh, different every one, time I played it. One last little fun fact. Um, because of games like Super Mario 3 and Super Mario World that um, were filled with all those sort of mini-games, like the roulette and stuff, uh, that Miyamoto saw as filler... When they were making Super Mario 64, he made a rule that there could be no mini games. Wow, the guy just doesn't miss. He just does. And if anybody ever contests this after listening and says, you know, Super Mario World, Super Mario World game, you know, it's a little different. If you need my backup, it's obviously going to be Super Mario Brothers Three. That's a, yeah, a staple. That's, that's the best of what they did. That's the best of what they did. And I think so too. And I will always have um, Super Mario Brothers, Super Mario USA, Super Mario Brothers Two. Um, again, another one that's a totally weird, different thing, but I think is a great game. It's it's certainly unique, and I mean it's Birdo, so everybody loved Birdo. Everybody loved that Birdo. Throw her egg at her. Well, thank you, Rich. I've had an excellent time here today. This was a lot of fun. Yes, um, we should do it again. As always, I'm Rich Meister. You're Eric Ortiz. I already did the spiel about following. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you guys in February to talk about skateboarding. Bye bye. <laughs>